0: Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space.
1: When I joined Barbary, I was also very lucky because we got this uh, very charismatic leader called Angela Adams, who is really the person who transformed Barbary, created this revolution. And again, it was not about customer centricity. It was about obsession for customers to the point that we never thought our boss was Angela or was our leaders. We thought our boss was the stores.
0: Welcome, friends, to the Ecom Logistics Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. Nanad and I are excited to be joined by Andrew Marco, a Global Chief Operating Officer in the retail space. Andrew has spent over 25 years in supply chain, 16 and a half years of his career was spent at Burberry, where he rose to Global Senior VP of Supply Chain. Other very noteworthy experience was with Inadex. and he also has been sharing his experience and expertise as an Associated Supply Chain Professor. Andrew, it's great to have you join us today and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Dan. And thank you, team. I'm very excited about the opportunity.
2: Super excited to have you on the call. Lots to talk about. Luxury brands. That's what we are going to be yes, focused on. Yes, Luxury brands. But Inditex, right? That's the same company that owns Zara and also owns, I know, in your history, right? But I yes. just want to touch on that. That's the company that owns Zara and you were responsible for the luxury brand underneath that?
1: Yes. So, look, Inditex owns different brands. The most popular one is Sara, of course. Uh, Uh But it has uh, Massimo Dutti, Berska, Pulandir, Pulandir, uh, Stradivarius. So it's by far the biggest Spanish uh, retail company. And uh, I I would say it's number one in the world. I think the interesting thing for me, and and again, I I just have been very lucky that I had the opportunity to work for Inditex during four years because Inditex is considered the number one supply chain organization in the world. Uh, I don't think anybody is able to do things as fast uh, and in a better way than Inditex when it comes to supply chain. So I was very young. I was in my 20s. I was finishing college. And I got this call from Massimo Dutti, which is the number two company in the group. Uh, And uh, they offered me a job running supply chain or running a part of supply chain. It was an incredible experience uh, to work with these professionals, and especially with the Inditex model, uh, which is all about supply chain. I will argue Inditex could be doing furniture or automotive or pharmacy, and they will be as successful as they are. Because the model is about how they treat vendors, how they treat upstream supply chain. And then on the other hand, their incredible customer centricity, which nowadays we talk about it, but 20, 30 years ago, nobody was talking about this in the past. Very lucky to be learning. And I will say I study at the university and I did a lot of supply chain at college and I never learned as many things as I did in Inditex during all my career.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And maybe that's where a quote I heard you give not too long ago was supply chain needs to be servant to the consumer. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, where did that philosophy in North Star come from? Because you've led like really big omni channel transformation projects. And in hearing what you've written and hearing what you've stated in the past, you, it always feels like you are starting with the customer, that experience, and you're working backwards, making sure that right infrastructure and supply chain technology is all in place. So can you share more about maybe that's where it started, but where you've really built that philosophy for yourself? Yes,
1: yeah, done. Thank you for the question. Look, it's very simple. I work personally with uh, Amancio Ortega, which is the owner and the founder of Inditex, uh, which is not very strange because he's the most humble person in the universe. And you will see him even now in Chara walking and talking with everybody. So what he told us, and I'm talking about 25 years ago, what he told us is uh, you need to have customers in one hand and then you need to have vendors in the other hand that's how you manage the business. What happened after that was, uh, and then I worked with very strong professionals, Abel Lopez from Inditex, which is a person that I learned a lot from him. After that, when I joined Barbary, I was also very lucky because we got this very charismatic leader called Angela Arens, who is really the person who transformed Barbary, created this revolution. Uh, and again, it was not about customer centricity. It was about obsession for customers uh, to the point that we never thought our boss was Angela or was uh, our leaders. We all, we thought our boss was the stores. I can tell you, Dan, that I remember in Inditex, uh, we were all in supply chain. We were all very afraid of the store managers because <laughs> if the store manager of Dubai mall will call a manch Ortega, the owner, and he will complain about supply chain. We will be in big trouble. Okay. And I remember very well that this happened to me when I joined the company. I remember that the Dubai mall manager called the company to say, Oh, I'm very disappointed with Andreo. He the delivery has arrived 15 minutes late. And I was like, it's only 15 minutes. And that's when I learned the big lesson. They almost killed me to say, What do you mean? 15 minutes of sales in Dubai mall? <laughs> that's a lot, right. do you realize? Yeah. So that put things in context, which is in Inditex, it's all about the speed and the speed to market. Uh, and it's all about vendors in one side, customer centricity in the other side. That's the secret of their success. And many companies have tried to copy Inditex model and they haven't been successful. You can think about companies like Gap or H&M. They, of course, they are successful companies, but nobody has been able to do what the, the text does when it comes to supply
2: chain? Yeah, that that I'll have to say as a consumer. Like, I always wonder about the supply chains because I work in supply chain. And to the point, right? Dubai Mall. I was actually in Dubai Mall maybe two months ago, and. You see the Zaras of the world in that footprint and you go to India and I see Zara there and you could be any part of Middle East and you see a store there. You are hearing about all the exodus of companies from Russia as an example that mandated, non-mandated, but them leaving and it's like Zara is one of the brands that's doing that. And it's almost like any part of the world. Again, Gap's been extremely successful as a company, but you don't see that type of footprint And that's one of the driving forces has to be the supply chain to get the products where they need to be around the globe and what it takes to operate a supply chain of that nature. So I'm absolutely dumbfounded by the level of what it is, right? And again, it's a lot of it is fast fashion. Fast fashion is relatively speaking, not as much margin. So you need that supply chain to be tight while getting it there on time. Your experience as you move into Burberry, I'm sure it changes a little bit or the perspective changes, right? Or what is it that you took from Inditex to Burberry? And of course, you started from a director position and you led the supply chain over there. Like, how did it inspire you to do the transformation there?
1: Yeah, thank you, Ninad. Look, it's exactly when you ask, what do you take from Inditex? I would say all the learnings. (laughs) It was very interesting because The luxury world, I will say, is one of the most inefficient supply chains areas that you can imagine. So why? Because they have big margins. So they never know in luxury. you never know how much money you're leaving on the table because you get money anywhere. In Inditex, if you make a mistake, you're out of the company, but also the company could disappear because the margins are very tight. So it was really a very interesting opportunity for me to be able to apply a lot of the learnings of the Inditex model, uh, particularly on speed and uh, customer centricity in the, in a look, in a very old fashioned luxury company, which was Barbary 20 years ago. And I was very lucky because I had the opportunity to work with Angela Lawrence, which I mentioned before, she's, yep. I consider her the most charismatic leader in retail. In the last 100 years. Oh. And so I was very lucky to work with her. I also had the opportunity to work with people like Andy Janowski and uh, Roberto Canevari, who were the chief operations globally. And again, they gave me the opportunity to implement a lot of the learnings from this Inditex model into the luxury industry. And and, it, and the thing that changed in Barbary was the omni, omni channel and the digitalization of the company. And let me explain you this in 2008. When we had the big crisis in the world, Barbary was totally bankrupt. We didn't have money. Barbary is not part of any group. We didn't have cash. So we were in a meeting with Angela and and we said, okay, what do we do? Because we cannot get more stores. We cannot buy factories. We cannot get even better product. And the only thing that we decided that we could do was digitalization and omnichannel. And when we presented this to the investors, they were saying like, you guys are crazy. Nobody's going to buy luxury products online. Why do you think somebody is going to buy luxury online? And we said, yes, we may be crazy. It's also that we don't have many options. (laughs) We don't have many other alternatives. We just have to do this one because we believe that we can do it. And we also thought it was, we also thought this is very disruptive and very different. And we went to see people like Sappos in the U.S. that they were doing a very different business model. And then we started talking with Farfetch and Netaforter and Ux. And Barbary was the first brand to enter into Farfetch. And all our competitors were saying publicly in the newspapers, they were saying, these guys are going to kill the brand. Uh, how can they be in these platforms? This is absolutely the most stupid idea and it's never going to work and even from a supply chain point of view it's not going to work and what we did especially from a supply chain point of view was to say okay the decision is inventory belongs to customer we put the customer at the center and that means that we have to change the dynamics of the company which for 150 years were built around building channels wholesale uh, travel retail e-commerce And we eliminated all these artificial bar- barriers that the company built during many years. And we said, our role here is to eliminate frictions. Our role is to give access to customers who may want to buy in Nordstrom.com or they want to buy in netaporter or in Farfetch or in Barbary.com or in the store. It doesn't matter. They want to buy one of our products. Of course, we will have different margin, different commercial agreements. But in reality, from a supply chain point of view, that's not our problem. Our problem is to eliminate frictions so these customers can access to this product, even if they are buying in a different company. But it's still something that is generating revenue for our company and it's still protecting the brand integrity. So that was very interesting because we, let's say we had a civil war in the company because we were challenging the model that existed, right? So we were saying people may want to buy something online, but they want to try it in the store, or people may want to go to the store to try something and then buy it in Parfetch.com or in chinchegai if they're in South Korea, because they have the loyalty points from Chinchegai. So that was not easy, because again, internally in in our company, we had people saying, wait a minute, my people is going to lose commission, Why are we helping other companies to grow or why are we helping other B2B to see platforms to grow instead of trying to grow our own online business? And I have I got very lucky because I had the support from Angela and from Roberto Panerati when we were saying, guys, you need to support us in supply chain because the company is not ready for this change. The company we're putting the customer at the center. Yes, but the company is not ready for that. And then we went to the US and we spoke with people from Nordstrom for, from Bloomingdale's. And they were saying like, yeah, we're having the same problem. We in Nordstrom, they were saying, we are trying to use the inventory that we have in the stores for online fulfillment because obviously we can deliver that in one hour. Uh, we have problems with our own employees. In the stores because they don't want to give us the imagery
2: you know what everything that you just explained like literally every sentence i want to double click on and i think we're going to run out of time but i just want to say this like you mentioned that 2008 time frame 2007 right like i remember being in the field kind of young right analyst in the industry working and Omnichannel started becoming the buzz but the challenge with omni-channel was exactly what you're describing. And th- th- this applied to retailers alike, right, to the point that you are making. It applied to manufacturers. It applied to everyone was omni-channel transformation wow. meant digital transformation, supply chain transformation, people transformation. You are essentially looking at a company-wide transformation because most companies before that looked at e-commerce as this or I mentioned e-commerce as just one one channel, but one distribution channel, and I'm going to build my own warehouses that are going to be just e-commerce, or there's going to be this little thing in the corner that's going to do e-commerce and deliver stuff. And now we are talking about buy anything anywhere and get it delivered anywhere and be able to have that experience. So just getting into it a little bit into the detail from your perspective, How did you manage to put that customer in the center, that leadership change? Because there are still a lot of companies struggling with that. Where there are silos today, how did you break that barrier from a leadership perspective?
1: Look, the key word here is leadership and and engagement with people. So it's not easy because, again, you're challenging operating models that have been there forever. And it's also a lot easier when you are talking with companies that are digital, they're they're more digital. So I don't think Jux or Farfetch had these problems because they were digital from the beginning. But instead, most of the retailers who were very strong in offline, eh, this is where the problem eh, came out very strongly. And at the end of the day, it's more, if you are a customer-centric organization and if you care about growth instead of cost, eh, this is where you see the big difference. Because I can tell you the last mile delivery And the immediate delivery uh, is something that you need to be, you need to be very strong in terms of how you approach this, uh, because in some cases uh, it's going to be difficult to justify it. And and going back to my Inditex times. I remember when I joined Inditex, we were hiring charter plans. that's how we work. Like, how many planes are you going to hire today? Do you have a space in the 747 300? Because we have two containers that we need to send to. So, in one thing that I learned in Inditex is that a speed to market has always is always the winning card. Uh, because in, in our competitors in Inditex and also in Barbary, while they were sending the products by sea and they were saying, let's pay the cheapest transportation rates. We were doing exactly the opposite. We were saying we're going to win with the speed to market. And what will happen is that we will not be leftovers with inventory. So the conversation about working capital and Angela Lawrence told me one one time, less less is more. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, eh, less inventory is more. We can sell a lot more with less inventory. So I remember when I joined Barbary, we had 36 distribution centers. When I left, we had two. Globally, wow. And the key for that, so you can imagine and you can check in the in the reviews or in the communication that we were doing with investors, we were dramatically reducing our inventory and our working capital while we were increasing sales. How did we achieve that? Very simple. We were using all the we were putting all the inventory that we had in the company, including vendors, including goods in transit, including stores. Including B two B to C partners, we were putting all of this inventory at the service of customers, and then we were giving some work to the commercial people to say, "You find a way <laughs> to, to to deal with the commissions or the remuneration of of that model, because in reality we don't care. We want we know that there is a person with a credit card ready to buy our product is not in the channel that we expect it to be." Who cares? We still want to do the transaction.
2: That is phenomenal. That number
1: 36 to 2, would,
2: does that include not include some 3PLs
1: you worked with or yeah. uh, 36 to 2? The company that I found when I joined Barbary, it was very, it was every single country was operating in isolation and every single category was operating in isolation. So what we did in supply chain was to create a global organization, a global matrix organization. We eliminated all these silos. Uh, and then we I remember I spent my first years going country by country saying, hi, good afternoon. My name is Andreo Marco, and I'm here to close the distribution center. And I'm going to explain you why it's going to be good for you. Uh, <laughs> keep in mind that Inditex operates with one global hub uh, in one of the less- In one of the most complicated logistically uh, places in Spain, which is Galicia, is uh, La Coruña. They're in a very, it's not a good logistics place. There are no big airports or ports around there. And they managed the whole war over from there. The reason why Inditex didn't open Australia until 15 years ago, because we wanted to open Australia even when I was there 25 years ago. And the reason why they did, it took them like 10 years to do it is because they will never open a country or a store unless they are able to deliver in one or two days. So they, wow. that's the reason why. So they go from Spain to Melbourne store in, in 48 hours. So in Barbary, we did something very similar, which is, guys, we have even a better opportunity because our products are more expensive, we have more margin. So all these conversations about trying to save money on transportation it's the other way around, spend money on transportation uh, in a good way, but uh, deliver the product, uh, you know, win with the speed to market. And in luxury, you have the runway and then you have the products. So we were always like, why is Inditex able to go uh, to to present the product in the stores faster than anybody else? And in Barbary, we said, OK, we're going to do this. We have to go very quickly from the runway to the product to be in the store. And we were doing... Crazy things like allowing people that was watching the runway live, and we were allowing people to buy online uh, and delivering the product in one or two weeks.
2: Wow. So again, I would assume Burberry was very heavily reliant on air freight transportation as well. Then from a trans standpoint, not a lot of ocean ship containers carrying Burberry products.
1: Yeah, look, there is a problem here. I always mention uh, to all my team, which is, Sustainability is something that we need yes. to work. And uh, look, in supply chain, we need to find a solution for air transportation, but we also need to find a solution for immediate deliveries. When you have Amazon coming to your door three or five times per day, you realize there is something wrong here. And I think we, we need to learn because in the, there are some countries, and I can tell you countries like Brazil or countries like China or even Russia, where deliveries, the immediate delivery is really amazing. You order something and you have it in 15 minutes in your door. Yep. In Europe and in the US, I don't think we're there. And we think we're very good, but in reality we're not. <laughs> but yep. there is a problem that in the industry we need to solve, which is sustainability. And um, I know there are a lot of initiatives and all the companies that we have that I have worked for, ESG has been absolutely uh, fundamental. But Let's be clear we're moving products around we're manufacturing products in different countries and so there are some challenges around this.
2: Absolutely and I love the fact that you got ahead of my question because you you <laughs> saw where I was going with that. But that makes complete sense and some of the countries that you just mentioned it's also the labor cost right so the labor to deliver is so cheap. I was I mentioned I was in I was in Dubai a couple of months ago and before that I was in India and I have to say the delivery speed for Anything that you need is 15 minutes, yeah, 20 minutes. But it's also people on mopeds just zipping around through the city, just delivering. And it almost seems like there is people on mopeds doing delivery, probably the same number of people that are on the road going from point A to point B. It's pretty phenomenal to see that. And I think the the impact on the last mile is not as much. But when you look at air freight transportation, it definitely is. But it solves for that very particular problem. Like, why do people purchase Burberry? They want it now. When they see it on the runway, they want it. Or when they are in the store and they see it, they want it. So that makes a lot of sense. Maybe just a follow-on or a connecting question around store fulfillment. You mentioned earlier on, right, like when you got into omnichannel one of the challenges was the employees, right, like that work at the store. Now you are asking them to do more things. And very interestingly, last week, I was at the Manifest conference in Las Vegas. And at the conference, the the CEO of Quiet Logistics, who used to be the chief supply chain officer of American Eagle, was speaking on the stage and kind of talks about store fulfillment everyone wants to do it but there are challenges right do you want to focus on the customer or do you want that person to pick an order in the back office and how much assortment can you keep what's your perspective how did you think about it from a and the challenges you faced at Burberry
1: Yeah look store fulfillment in most companies in most big retailers it's still 70 80% right so we talk a lot about digital and digital deliveries and fast deliveries but let's not forget that we most of customers are still buying of their transactions happen in an offline location. So this is why it's very relevant. Uh, In my opinion, the concept of eliminating frictions from the customer has to apply also in offline. And the most interesting thing is how can supply chain help the stores? I can tell you that in Barbary, we decided that the back of house uh, was part of supply chain. And again, it was a big decision. It was a big challenge big, uh, but at some point we say we have inventory, but in back of house, we're doing some operations in the back of house. Uh, we want to have, we want to ensure that the people in the store is 100% in the floor selling and taking care of the ceremony of selling to the customer. So that means that supply chain needs to help with everything else. So this involves things like doing night deliveries. So it's and Inditex invented this model 20 years ago was the first company, it was the first retail company that started to deliver at night. Uh, And then in in Barbary, what we were doing is we take care of the back of house. And in some cities like New York, London, uh, Hong Kong, Shanghai, what we did was we created a small local fulfillment center, which is not to be confused with our house, because it was really a trans shipping point and a place for small operations. So, for example, we were doing alterations. We were doing replenishment when you have stores in places like Galeries Lafayette uh, or in Nordstrom, in, yep. in key locations. You, you know that you probably have a concession or a shopping shop. Uh, so it's very, you have very limited space there. And you need to have replenishment more than once a day. So you cannot do that from abroad, from another country. You have to find a, a solution. So basically what we did in key cities was to say, number one, we take control of all the operations in the stores. And that's going back to the concept of, in one hand, we manage upstream supply chain with vendors. In the other hand, of course, we manage manufacturing, distribution, planning, and transportation. But we also say, we we want to manage, or we want to help with the back of house management. And not to be confu- confused with the deals in the store or what happens in the store. Exactly. And that was very successful because again, in, in the key cities, what we did was to say, okay, why don't we downsize the back of house in very expensive locations? Imagine Canton Road in Hong Kong or Fifth Avenue in New York. So we said, why don't we eliminate the back of house and we create something that can help 10 different stores. So it's the back of house of 10 stores in a place in, in, in Queens in New York or in New Jersey, in New York, or in a location that is 10 miles away from the real estate. So that was also very successful. And interestingly, it was very good to reduce the cost to also increase availability and reduce working capitals.
2: So these are, I would say, micro-fulfillment before the word micro-fulfillment <laughs> became a thing, right? Like it's micro-replan houses. These are back-of-house, in key real estate positions that are more centralized, they are replanning the stores, replanning the other channels that you might be selling through, let's Absolutely. say Nordstrom, Macy's, whoever is out there, but then also doing consumer deliveries? Yeah,
1: they were doing everything. In Let me give you an example. In London, we were doing Heathrow. It's a very important shopping center, Heathrow yeah. Airport. And Barbary had, I think we had three stores in Heathrow. So we were able to offer this service to customers that were in Heathrow waiting for the flight, uh, and they will go to the store. And normally it would be an Asian consumer trying a trench coat. And they were like, oh, I want to buy it. It's $2,000, but it needs alterations. It doesn't fit. So we will do alterations within 30 minutes a uh, juice because we have this local fulfillment center very close to the airport. And you cannot imagine how many sales we were able to save because in many, in the past, customers were saying like, I want to buy it, but I'm not going to take it to Hong Kong because they don't know how to, uh, to do the alterations. So we were doing that for them and it became very famous. And as you're saying, we were using that pool of inventory, a central pool of inventory in London, in a, in a small distribution center. Uh, to do all channels, we were doing travel retail. We were doing online deliveries in central London in less than one hour. We were doing replenishment of uh, hard roads and, and, um, selfishes. Uh, and we were delivering, we were doing replenishment of the offline network. So at the end of the day, what is important is stores need to be focused on selling and the ceremony of selling. We in supply chain, we need to help them with everything and the back of house. Will never be managed in a better way than by a supply chain person.
2: Absolutely, that is absolutely. Just talking about the general industry, getting a little away from the luxury brand. Like there has been significant amount of investment from venture capital into digital organizations, etc. In this rapid fulfillment, micro fulfillment type of strategy. Now, you do have to say. Burberry is unique with the margins that it has, that you can do the things that you were able to do. But as you look at general merchandise, health and wellness as an example, right? How do you see that type of where the margins are lower, but the consumer expectations and it's Amazon and these other brands setting the tone. And if you Anyone else other than Amazon and Walmart, specifically in North America, is pulling off a one-hour, two-hour delivery for general merchandise or nutraceuticals or health and wellness products. Chances are they are spending the VC money right now on actually making it happen to get to scale. How do you see the perspective of a two-hour in low-margin products, three hours, same day in the low margin? Because there is the unit economics has started to come The chickens are coming to roost, right? Like it's actually starting to happen where it is really hard to do in different markets, different strategies, but I want your opinion. Like now you have a newer perspective. What do you think about that type of omni-channel where a consumer needs something in two hours, but the margins are really low?
1: So Ninad, the answer is two words. One is technology and the other one is consolidation. So I can tell you, uh, for most of the retail brands, we are in the same high streets in the world, we're in the same shopping centers. So does it really make sense that every single brand has to replenish that the store with their own, uh, with their own facility, with their own tracks and their own infrastructure? It really doesn't. And in reality, we're not competing with that. So what's the problem of getting very strong with consolidation? So I think that's a key word. The second word is technology. And I give you the example of Uber. So it's, we can Uberize the deliveries, the last mile deliveries, and we can consolidate it. Even for companies like Amazon, there is an opportunity. When I see Amazon coming to my door in the morning three times, I'm thinking they have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a massive opportunity, and I'm working right now. In I'm doing a lot of work with my team on this now because I think that's the future. Uh, I agree. This is not which should not be in the company that I work, it can be luxury of us as a market. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day we want solutions for customers. And the question is, are customers ready for to pay for the service that I'm providing? If it is a very expensive service, they're not going to they're not going to take it.
2: Agreed. Agreed. It's, it seems like you've been talking to quiet logistics. Cause I don't know if you heard, uh, cause I don't think if you're working in supply chain, you can miss Shaker cause he's all over the place talking about this stuff. And I agree with you. It makes sense, right? Like it, it makes a lot of sense. It's got to happen at scale. It's got to happen, you know, that consolidation has to happen at scale. Yeah. Two or three companies joining hands together. It still does not give you the unit economics. You need something much more powerful, and it's good for the environment. So, yeah, I'm all game for it.
1: And we have very strong consumers, uh, very educated consumers now, right? So, you know that consumers, they have a phone in their hands, they are checking prices, they are checking quality, but they also they are also very interested in sustainability. So, if you disappoint them uh, with what you're doing, they will not talk to you. Right now, we are exploring companies that are doing last mile delivery in an ecological way, so bicycles and in a green way, uh, and look, there is a big, of course, we want to do this because we care a lot about the environment, but I can tell you, it's also from a commercial point of view, this is a big deal. If we tell the customer yeah. this is a green delivery, we're going to sell more for sure.
2: Yeah, agreed. Just one one little anecdote about the bicycles. So I don't, with work from home, I don't go to downtown Toronto too often, but I ended up going this week and like for the first time, I see those mopeds that you see in like Asian countries. All of a sudden, there's all of these moped delivery services that are all over the city. I'm like, what happened? They didn't exist six months ago. And by the way, it's speaking in celsius it's like negative 15 degrees <laughs> and there are people on mopeds just driving around doing deliveries i'm like all the power to you guys right Yeah, you know, good I, for I, the uh, environment
1: i'm good for. The, i think in europe and in the us we have this problem money that we're a little arrogant in the industry we think that we know more than everybody in reality i get a lot of inspiration in places like india brazil the, and china uh, because they and of course, COVID changes, changes everything, particularly in in the omnichannel world. We have to, but the inspiration is not in Europe or in the US. The inspiration is in these places where people is able to get products and services in 15 minutes. And here we're talking about next day delivery or one hour delivery, so it's no way to go.
2: Necessity is the mother of all inventions in supply chain. I'll tell you they have a different problem and they solved for it. So I think taking inspirations from them completely agree with you. Completely.
0: You and I think Andrew, as I've been listening to the, you and Nanad, one of the things, you know, that we often see and hear. And you've said it so many times about the cooperation and partnership between operations and technology. And I think what we see so much today, and even the past decade or so, is very siloed operations, right? So you have very operation-centric organizations. You have others that lean into technology first. Everything I'm hearing you talk about is about this partnership and IT technology and operations working together to make the most optimal supply chain experience for the customer. A, do you agree with that? Do you think it's vitally important? What's your approach there from that kind of breaking down silos or breaking down to make sure that organizations could work together from an ops and technology perspective?
1: Yes, um, look, I can tell you my best friends in life are in the tech industry, <laughs> and in all the companies I have worked with, it's not by chance. I do put a lot of attention and I make a big, big effort in terms of building bridges with our tech partners. Again, I've been very lucky, but I remember that for some reason, every time, for some reason, every time I arrive to a company, they always tell me, "Oh." We are glad, Andrea, that you are here because your approach to tech and to IT is very different from what we had in the past. In the past, it was a civil war every day, <laughs> right. and uh, tech and uh, and uh, supply chain were always fighting. I really cannot understand that. I really cannot imagine uh, any supply chain organization in the world that is not best friend of the technology partners. And if the technology partners happen to be very customer centric which has been, I have been very lucky that has been my case, then everything flies because nowadays, I will say 20 years ago, it was not that relevant. Nowadays, it's absolutely critical. It's impossible to be successful in supply chain unless you understand tech. And I'm saying that you need to understand the architecture of systems and you need to understand more. Nowadays, you need to understand more about tech uh, than about anything else, Uh, so for people like me, which is not I'm not the start of my career. So it's constant recycling myself and my team. Uh, and I'm learning a lot. And I've been learning a lot during the last years uh, because there has been a revolution in the way tech operates. But uh, it's fun- it's fundamentally important that tech and supply chain are together. Uh, because they they are very cross-functional. You can see that they operate almost in every part of the company. Uh, and what I, my experience is when we achieve that magic between tech and supply chain, absolutely things fly.
2: Absolutely. And just to turn it on, you know, I come from the tech side of the universe, and it's to the point that was made about supply chain has to understand tech to the level of architecture, right? Like you, you need to understand how things connect from a system standpoint. But then there is the other side that tech needs to understand supply chain And it's architecture of how things connect and why and where the value happens to be. And when, you know, both that, again, even down to the software developer level, right? If they understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, there is a direct impact on the solution. Gone are the days of multi-year initiatives. Like I want to, I've actually been involved in projects where one warehouse implementation would take two years. Not joking. Two years to just implement a warehouse management system inside a building. A forecasting and replenishment system, two and a half year initiative. We can't be doing that anymore, right? Like it has to be faster. And yes, the revolution's definitely helping on that front. Again, that's an opinion, not a question. Just got excited about what you were no, saying. No, and, and I
1: fully agree, Nina, because look, I did three SAP implementations, for example. If you ask me to do another SAP implementation, I will run away. <laughs> I will say, no, no way. I want to, I don't want to lose my hair, the little one that I have. And I agree, it's a very different model now. And I, I have learned a lot in the last five years about how can you, it's, it's not going to be a perfect model. It's an MVP, but it will work and then you will make it perfect.
2: Absolutely. Love the term MVP. Yeah, yeah. Just keep the ball rolling forward. That's it.
0: Uh, Andrew, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. Really appreciate your time and all the insights and collaboration. How do people learn more about you? Maybe follow you if you want to share how someone could reach out to you. Maybe follow you on any of your social network. Yeah, I mean, I'm very strong in LinkedIn. That's the one that I use more for is Andreo Marco in
1: LinkedIn. I don't think there are many Andreo Marcos with you, <laughs> Andreo, with you. At the end. As you know, I'm also an associate professor of supply chain. But I also am very keen for me. The most important thing is career development. So I'm really passionate about helping young people and young professionals. I can tell you that if you ask me what is the thing that you are more proud in your career, I will tell you people like Andrew Corner, who is now SDP, global SDP of supply chain in Nike in Portland. He worked for me, and I'm super proud that I helped him. Uh, Wei Chen, which is a person that is also incredible. He's VP of Supply Chain for Still Other UK. And he's also somebody that I had the opportunity to develop uh, as a leader. Uh, And then I have Carol Mack in Hong Kong. I have Tatiana Kane in Spain. A lot of people that worked for me before, and they are even in higher positions than me that's absolutely and i'm saying like i will not stop until you become the global ceo of a big multinational company Uh, it's really very encouraging to be able to help young supply chain professionals a lot of women uh, which is and they are now in top positions now and a lot of diversity because i always had very diverse and multinational teams so again, very I was very happy, very lucky with my bosses and with the leaders that I had, and I mentioned them before, but I also have been very lucky with the teams that, that have been working for me. So very happy supply chain life. <laughs> I love that. That's,
2: that's phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. It was a absolute pleasure talking to you. I really look forward to a chat some other day as well. As your career progresses, we are gonna keep a very close eye on the things that you do thank you really enjoyed our conversation thank
1: Thank you you guys i really enjoy also participating so thank you for the opportunity
2: hi i'm ninad acharya ceo and co-founder of fulfillment
0: iq and i'm here with dan call cro and partner at fulfillment iq we're the team behind the ecom logistics podcast our mission is to provide you with genuine insights from our work alongside logistics leaders to help you improve your supply chain.
2: In the Ecom Logistics Podcast, we share the knowledge and the insights we've gained from working alongside amazing brands, retailers, 3PLs, and VCs, so you can make the most out of your supply chain journey.
0: If you like what you're hearing, we truly appreciate your support with a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting channel. Your feedback not only keeps us going, but also helps others find the podcast. If you think Fulfillment IQ can assist you or if you have an idea related to logistics, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always up for a chat and ready to explore new possibilities together.
2: Stay tuned to the Ecom Logistics Podcast on your favorite podcast platform for fresh and practical insights into e-commerce and logistics. Until next time, let's keep making a difference in logistics together.